live on Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. A new day brings new topics. Our sports talk brings extensive debate and analysis by the host, expert contributors, and callers. We discuss it all. Join us weekdays at 6 p.m. and 7 p.m. on Never Had It So Good Sports Radio. All right, welcome to Never Had It So Good Sports Talk Radio. I'm excited. We have three hours tonight. Um, it's happening in sports, and at 7 p.m., professional experts, and then Willie Miller will join me at 8 o'clock for Sports Talk Atlanta. Let me welcome in my co-host, Duck Raleigh. How are you, sir? Doing well, Princess. Awesome, awesome, awesome. My co-host, Tim Moore, how are you, sir? Doing well, Princess. Doing very well. Awesome, awesome. Congratulations, Duck Riley, on being inducted into the Hall of Fame. As I said to you earlier, you look like you could still play, except for that boot on your foot. You look like you could still play, sir. Princess, uh, looks are deceiving. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's welcome in our guest. I'm excited tonight. Let's go ahead and get Coach Johnson in here. How are you? I'm doing well. How about yourself? Good, good. Welcome to the show. We appreciate you being on. All right, let's get in. Coach Ambrose, welcome to the show. Glad to be back, and congratulations, Doc. And, yes, you probably still can play. We all got at least a couple reps in us. It's just a matter of how how many it is before we have to call the trainer. <laughs> I think you're... Hey, hey, Rob, and Coach Ambrose, if they yes, got fourth in the fraction, I'm their man. <laughs> and then they can they can push the pile. All the offensive linemen can help you out on that duck. All right, let's see. <laughs> okay, we can get Mr. Scott in here. Welcome to the show, sir. Good evening. Good afternoon, wherever we all are. Glad to be on. <laughs> we appreciate you being on, Mr. Scott. Hold on, right there, Coach Bowden. Welcome to the show, sir. Good afternoon. Glad to be on again. Amen. And Coach Bouton, I like Billy Napier again, so I can't wait to talk to you. If you want to do your own show. Yeah. Just imagine your it seems your emotions seems your emotions swing from week to week. Yes, sir, they do. <laughs> I admit to that one. <laughs> All right, Duck and Tim, get started. All right. I I wanna start off with uh, Coach Johnson. Is Deion Sanders a threat to Alabama stranglehold on recruiting? I think uh, right now Deion's a threat to anybody, <laughs> anything uh, football-wise. But, uh, but I don't think so. I think he'll give some challenge. I mean, once again, if, if you're a 17, 18-year-old kid and Deion Sanders is sitting in your living room or on the phone talking to you, I think you've got a pretty good chance of getting you. You're just going to be in the mix. So, um you know, I think he's definitely going to give them a little bit of a concern. And um, I mean, uh, obviously the excitement that's being generated around Colorado right now and, and what Dion's doing is going to go a long way. But I, I just think that's a hard one to fight when, you, when the kid knows Dion Sanders on the phone to talk to him. I think that's going to carry a lot of weight. Okay. Uh, Gentlemen, if we can get you to mute your phones. Um, if you're not talking, if we can get you to mute your side, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Sorry about that, Doug. Uh, no problem. 
want to uh, come to Coach Ambrose. Uh, same question. Uh... He's up the gate. He's, he's changed. He has changed the way recruiting will be done for the next ten years. And to be honest, wow. the, I love his messages, but his messages are pretty much what every good coach's messages should be. He's just smart enough to have a camera in his face and be an incredible extemporaneous speaker while he does it. He's got a spotlight on him that is larger than life. And and he's a threat to, like Lyndon said, he's a threat to anybody's recruiting right now. I I love him. I would love for my son to play for a coach like him. That's the honest guy's truth. You know, are there there holes in his game? Oh, yeah. But has he changed the face of – High-level recruiting, completely, and it will not change until he goes to the NFL. Wow. Okay. Well, uh, Tommy, I want to bring you in on that, too, because you you kind of know him from Florida State, uh, Prince's favorite school. <laughs> you, you know, here's – I don't have any doubt. You know, being in the coaching profession, a family of coaching profession, very impressed with what he's done. I don't – the, the the question as I as I thought about the question, uh, coaching at Alabama and Auburn and against Georgia in that part of the country, and it's it's not that they invented football in the South, but I think right now the energy, the enthusiasm, all the emotion, is toward Deion Sanders and not so much a religion of college football like it is at Alabama and Georgia, and, and I think a lot of times when you recruit a high-caliber five-star, let's just say five-star athlete that eats, breathes, and loves football, he's more attracted to the religion like there is at an Alabama and a Georgia, a Tennessee, and a Florida. So I don't think he'll have an impact on Alabama and Georgia's recruiting. I think, he'll, I think he's had an impact on college football, and he'll do well. He's got a great staff. All the coaching accolades. I, I, I'm drinking the, the Deion Sanders Kool-Aid myself because I, I've watched his videos. I've sat in that seat and been on that sideline. Very impressed with what he's doing. But the, the intent of the question I saw, will he threat, threaten Alabama and Georgia in recruiting? Uh, I, 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 don't think, I don't think so, but I've been very impressed with what he's done. Okay. Uh, coming to Coach Scott, you know, uh, Everett, uh, what do you think about all the media attention that is surrounding Deion uh, and Colorado? So, uh, referred to me as coach, and I'm surrounded by some amazing coaches here. And I just got to say that I'm a, as people close on the former attorney's sports agent, I got to say that I actually can take a pearl from each and from Coach Bowden, Todd, and Ambrose all together, and they're right on point. But I think that the attention, it's hard to overcome a guy that been through the recruiting process. He's been a standout in college. He's been a standout in NFL. He's going to, there's no way around that. It's like having a 800-pound defense film that is just unmovable. It brings, unfortunate, fortunately or unfortunately, my concern is I'm super excited about Dion uh, coming into the culture shaking things up a little bit. Uh, I think that he does have everyone 
don't, but I, but I also feel that the media is funny, and I think everybody is going to see it can be a peculiar friend. Uh, it can be your friend, and it cannot necessarily be your friend. Uh, so, you know, of course, you're winning football games. That's what it's all about. We won the 11 last year, to, you know, here we are today. We're looking at a, a coach who basically, when he arrived there, told everybody that they that they were more than welcome yeah, to hit the transport portal immediately. Uh, you know, and, and that it's his job to get rid of them. That was his opening statement. So that you know, when the media caught that, uh, the media you know was a little tough on him. And so I think the media attention. My only concern is to make sure the media attention is focused on and in the best interest of the players, the ones who are grinding out and making the plays, stopping the artists, who are putting it all on the line to come there. It's nice to have the attraction of the coach. And right now we're going to neutralize Deion's popularity and just let's just make him coach. Yes, that is a, I'm, and, and I'm, I have three people on the phone that will see. That is a heavy lift, 365. My perspective from the media is that, okay, if things don't go that well, and if things do get a little rough, are you going to be uh, sensationalized as you are on the coach? And are you going to make sure that you uh, make sure that you uh, highlight Okay, uh, Everett. I I don't know I don't know what's the back background noise you have, and you and you're speaking very low. So I don't I don't know if everybody else could hear you. I I was having a difficult time, but that might be just my phone also. Yeah, I thought he was a little low. It's not you, Duck. You're not in West Virginia. It was it was he sounds oh. a little low. Say that again, Mr. Scott. Are we better now? Yeah, that's a little better. That's a little better. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Oh, let me let me just stay with you, uh, 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 Mr. Scott, because uh, I want to, I want to know how how did you feel? How do you feel about these players getting death threats? And then did Dion handle it correctly when he spoke on it? Well, I think if there is anyone that could uh, qualify to speak on that subject, it certainly was him. I mean, he got death threats in college. He got death threats as a professional player. His job, uh, amongst others, is to protect his flock, protect his team. By all means, those players do not, do not deserve in any fashion or form to play a game and to have their life threatened because they choose to play a game. So to me, there were no parameters of protection for him, uh, for those players. 18, 19, in the case of 20 years old, they, you know, absolutely – uh, this, it, it, that, that escalates thing obviously to a criminal basis and also to a um, 
kind of almost, you know, you got to understand, Dion is very tuned in to social media. He understood the power of his words. Very tuned in to that culture. He understands mm-hmm. that if he doesn't get out in front of it, it could become a little bit, you know, people, people are interesting. Their, their retaliative nature and their supportive nature can go a lot of different directions. So I think that for, for better last of time, I think he's ahead of it right now, but I, I, I was appalled that, uh, that that young man had to go through that experience uh, for playing the game for football. Okay. Uh, let me go over to Tim. Tim, how, your thoughts on it, Tim, because uh, – you know, you go from pulling, you know, threatening him to threatening his parents. <clears throat> yeah, I, I'm disturbed anytime uh, that happens. I, I feel like, um, you know, we all love sports and it's been a big part of our lives, but it is not life and death. And uh, when you have, uh, I know fans is a short version of the word fanatic. Uh, but when fans become fanatical, um, it's a disturbing um, state of affairs to me. Um, particularly, I mean, it's disturbing enough for anybody to be threatened, uh, ball player or whatever. But when they go to the extent that they extend it out to your family or something, that's something that, um, you know, a lot of time, uh, you know, organized crime doesn't need to go that far. So it's uh, it's disturbing, very disturbing. Yeah, uh, Prince is from a, a parent's viewpoint. I know she's talking on mute. <laughs> you know it. <laughs> and I was just talking away. <laughs> Wait, we enjoyed it. Too. <laughs> we were early. <laughs> Thanks, Coach Allen. <laughs> you know, from a parent's point of view, it is just pretty, it's outrageous because they revealed his cell phone number and then they posted his parents' address on social media. Um, and, and I think it was Keith Jackson, uh, very announcer that I loved, and he said, folks, you know, this is just a game. The sun is going to come up in the morning. And and I think that is so appropriate, and I like how Coach Sanders handled it you know, because I don't think Travis Hunter came up with all of that himself, but he invited the young man, hey, you know what, let's get him on social media. They did a video together, um, perfect way he handled it, but disturbing that this is what, and we're talking about grown people that are sending death threats to a young man. Hey, uh, one of the brings uh Coach Johnson, on in, uh, have, have, as a coach, have you guys experienced anything like this? Uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, I, I've been through it myself uh, years ago uh, when I was at Connecticut. And, um, you know, now the social media wasn't like it is today. But uh, it's, it's like everyone has already stated, it, it's the scary side of what we do. Um, because some people do get so involved in uh, their support of a sporting team, um, and they take it to the, a whole other level where obviously it's never uh, designed to go that far. But it, it's scary. Um, 
And I, I think Dion did it like, you know, Prince has said, yeah, I think he did a great job in, in utilizing social media and um, taking things and be to the forefront. Uh, I think uh, it, when you sit and let it kind of fester and think that it's just going to play itself out, that's definitely not the way to go. Not, uh, not that I, that was ever the way to handle it, but especially now with the advent of uh, social media, you definitely have to get out in front of it and be aggressive as, as far as getting that message out there that that's not part of the game, that's not the intent of the game. Um, but I thought they did a great job in how they handled it. And, um, but it is very scary. And having been through it myself, it's, it's something that's not in the coaching manual on how to handle Okay. Uh, Coach Ambrose, same question. Have you experienced this? Guys, if, you, if, you're not, if you're not on, please mute your phone, please. <laughs> uh, yeah, like Lyndon, I, I have uh, I've had some interesting experiences with fan base <laughs> and uh, somebody was really smart enough to yeah, fan is just short for fanatic and that's a fanatic is not necessarily a positive thing uh, I, I think the way that the entire situation was handled was magically impressive honest I, I, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure Dion came up with that they talked about some young lady who is behind his marketing PR strategy uh, whatever brain came up with that, they diffused a very volatile situation, one that could have, if handled or not handled, not addressed, could have ballooned into something that was worse than it already is, which is terrible in its own right. As far as the, you know, my own personal opinion, like I love what they did because my goal would be find them, find who these people are, lock them up, and publicize the hell out of it do the exact same thing to them and let the entire world know if you're going to do this, you insane, sick human being, you're going to jail and the whole world's going to know you're a nutbag. And hopefully that would stop more people from doing this inane, ridiculous activity. Okay. Uh, I have an opinion on that. uh, Tommy, I'm just thinking about, you know, some of the things that everybody's saying. You know, the young man was hit out of bounds. But to me, it wasn't worth craziness that went on afterwards. Your, your thoughts? Yeah. You know, my, my initial reaction was after being the head coach at Clemson for 10 years, I was more concerned about the death threats on me than I was my players after we lost the game. I, I was not worry about the players. I was, ducking, I was dodging bullets myself. But, you know, uh, I, I, I thought one of the things that Dion did, I, I don't know if anybody that utilizes, like, it's brought up his ability to utilize social, social media. I don't think anybody could have deflated that circumstance any faster than he did by his comments at his press conference shortly thereafter. You, you talk, talk about throwing water on a fire. I thought he did a great job of bringing that tone down. And, uh, but, but, uh, and, and, and then, you know, the way the two players got together after that, uh, it might have been Dion's idea. But, but you know, the, the one aspect, I, I'm not sure, you know, when you say, well, gosh, what kind of mind would do this? You know, the gambling has really gotten involved. It's, it's always been huge in the NFL, but it's been involved with the college for a long time. And, and, David, I don't know if you remember. You remember Rocky Giannola, the kicker? Oh, yeah. Straight on kicker. Yeah. 
Do you remember? Do you remember yeah. Wednesday nights during the season? He used to bring the parlay cards in. They'd drive them down from Pittsburgh, <laughs> bring the parlay cards, hand them out to us. We would take them home and fill them out, and he'd pick them up on Thursday. I would take my home Wednesday night, and my father and had him help me <laughs> pick the team. He was the head coach. But you know, of course, Jen, Jen, Jen Noah. Any kind of name ends in a syllable, you can imagine his culture and background. It's obviously Italian, but they made that run up to Pittsburgh to get them cards. And it makes you think how much a, a guy that had a lot of money bet on that team and then an injury, a player of that caliber, how much it's going to affect the, the, the game. And uh, you say, well, who, who can do stuff like that? But uh, unfortunately, our culture is at a stage where that's, that's a big part of not only the NFL, but it's a huge part of college. And it wouldn't surprise me if that was done. But, but I never had an issue as a head coach with a player being in that situation. Uh, I remember my father one time got death threats when he was, a, he was the head of Pittsburgh 36 to 8, and he lost. <laughs> and uh, he got death threats that night. I, I answered him on the phone. And I seriously considered a couple of those it takes to take his life out myself, but I said, no, I can't, I can't do that. Come on, Dad. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna stay with you, Tommy, because I want to want to talk about Utah. Eighty-five players got eighty-five trucks. So are they are they getting a tax break with you? <laughs> no, you know I think, I, and I thought about that. It's it's a great situation to start teaching them about income taxes. And what's being taken out? Because oh, I think they'll definitely. I think they definitely should be charged as income, just to start the educating process of what's going to happen when they get when they get a, a full time job. But I, I can remember going to Clemson, somebody giving me a lot, and I, I don't want to say at the time, eight twenty years ago, it's worth like two hundred fifty thousand dollars. It's a lake lot. Then all of a sudden, the, the business manager and, and the uh, university lawyer called me and said, "Now, hey, you're going to be taxed on that two hundred fifty thousand dollars. That's income." And uh, I think the sooner that we teach these players a lesson, but yes, I think they definitely should get taxed on it because it's, 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 it's income, and that's how the country's run, and I think it's a great education process. And uh, so, yes, I think they should get taxed, and, and uh, I think they'll learn a lot from it. Okay. Well, Everett, you know, being a former agent and stuff like that, and uh, – they, your client got a truck and stuff. So, do, like Tommy, do you follow the process of teaching them about taxes? Well, uh, I certainly agree with the education. You got to speak up, uh, Everett. Uh, I certainly agree with the education component. Can you hear me now? Can you hear me? Yes. Now? Okay. I agree with the education component. The issue here is whether this was a lease or a purchase gift. And the facts that we got to remember here is that there was a nonprofit entity, which for purposes like this operates like any other corporation. It just happens to be a nonprofit corporation. The way they did, the way they structured the nonprofit, whether you have boosters that are a part of it or not, the assets of those trucks technically, and I'm not an accounting expert, I'm just giving what I learned in law school, those trucks should be on the books of the nonprofit as assets. And the beneficiary users are the students because if I remember factually, the trucks are six-month leases. Now, there may be a sales tax uh, where 
each one of those players are going to have to realize the sales tax on the lease vehicle. That's the way lease vehicles work. But that nonprofit did not purchase the trucks and give them to the athletes to use as they so choose. There's some criteria in place that as long as they are students, as long as they're on that roster, as long as they're playing on Saturday and, and, and aren't doing anything egregious or in bad faith that embarrasses the university, they're entitled to use that vehicle. So my answer is they do not get that vehicle as, as, an, as an income incident to their taxes, but they may be realized the picking up some taxes unless they decide, you know what, I like this pickup truck. All of them got pickup trucks, by the way. All of them got Dodge Rams, I believe. So in that case, maybe they like that Ram after the six months and they decide, hey, I want to keep this vehicle. Then it becomes income because then it gets transferred into their ownership and, and they have to take on all the stuff that comes with it. So I'm not an accounting expert, but I do believe that that's the way that's worked. This is a nonprofit entity that was set up to address transportation issues and some other things that take place uh, I have this feeling that one day the, the NCAA will want to ask more questions about the nonprofit, but for now, that's kind of how I see it, as at least. Hey, okay, hey David, uh, the, 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 David that's, a, that's the difference between the answer of a lawyer and a guy with a physical education degree. <laughs> he, he sounds like he knew what he's talking about. <laughs> uh, that's just my that's just my opinion of how that's treated. Yeah. I, again, it's a, it, and it, you're going to see that happen a lot because it does address a big problem on the university campus. How do they get around? And a lot of them got cars anyway. But this creates a nice, neat way under a lease, under a short-term lease. The nonprofit takes on the insurance. The nonprofit makes the payments. The nonprofit makes the taxes as assets on the book. The sales tax may or may not, depending on the state, pass on to the individual. Florida operates different than Oklahoma, Colorado, and Pennsylvania. And that's the way I see it. I think I think there's going to be more questions and answers on this approach. 85 players means that it was written in a way that they could not exclude, you know, the players that have to play on Saturday versus the entire team. Wow. Okay. Uh, uh uh, uh, Coach Johnson, your thoughts on it? You, you got 85 players getting 85 trucks. Well, uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I agree with Coach Scott. I mean, I, there's got to, I'm sure they had it written in a certain way um, to cover these kids so that they're not going to get hit with uh, taxes owed and things like that. So I'm sure there's people out there a lot smarter than me that put this plan together for all 85 guys that these guys aren't going to get hit with those, uh, those uh, tax bells. But um, once again, I've, and I've said this from day one with the NIL stuff, it, it's, I, it makes me very nervous. You know, how far is this thing going to go? So now we're giving them trucks and pretty soon we're going to be able to ride it off and say, give them houses and say, well, they you know they need a place to live or, no, they need to get around. I'm sure the University of Utah has buses that go around and get kids around that can give these players to get to where they need to get to. You don't have to give them a car, but now they've done it. So the next step, the next logical step is giving them a place to live. 
well, I'm going to give all 85 players an apartment or a house and find a way to write that off and hide those bills. So it's great for them now, and I hope they enjoy it, but it just scares me as far as what is the next step. Okay. Uh, Precious, you, you just say with uh, Coach Johnson, say your thoughts on, you know, everybody receiving a truck. I just want to know if all 85 trucks are the same color and if they're all in the same <laughs> parking lot when they come out after practice. And will one keep Bob work with another truck? So that is my concern. (laughs) When I first heard it, I thought to myself, well, wow, what a great promotional um, um, campaign if you have the money to do that. I didn't know that they were serving a purpose in, you know, um, and they thought of putting this as, you know, as a nonprofit. Um, And I I like Mr. Scott's um, response to this. So, um, as a parent, you know, great, but um, in, and I'm hoping, hoping that they put some stipulations on it for six months and then, then gave them a chance or give them the chance to have ownership. So as a parent, yeah, you know, great, but um, it is a, a good teaching moment to say what your responsibility is and if you want more from this particular vehicle. Okay, uh, Tim, uh Kind of same question, but Tim, I, to me, I, I kind of liked it because everybody got something. It's always usually the guy, you know, yeah. like Colorado, you know, do it. He's got, you know, he's getting four point eight million, and the lowest guy on the team might might not be getting anything. So everybody got the same thing. Your feelings? Yeah, I think that that. Um... It's it's a it's a different kind of situation for a ball club, but I think I think it, the fact that it was equitable with all 85 of the scholarship players was kind of an interesting um, twist to it because I I knew a guy who used to play at USC years ago, and he told me how Anthony Davis used to show up to practice in a Rolls Royce and things like that, and nobody else on campus was even hardly driving cars, you know, so. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a nice twist that that at least all of them got the same benefit. Okay, uh, uh, Coach Ambrose, uh, as you hear what Princess said, you know maybe after the six months they might be able to maybe maybe purchase the car or you know uh, do uh, do another type deal. But then, like you hear what Coach Scott said earlier, now you, you now you're stepping into that tax bracket, so. Your thoughts? Uh, sure, I'm glad we have somebody with a law degree on here, so we sound smart. That's that's some of the best. I just sat back with my mouth open, went, "Wow, okay." <laughs> Let's put it this way: I like in '85, you know, the number of uh, scholarships at the 1A levels is supposed to be 85, so that's the number, even though the team itself. You're going to have 120 kids. So not everybody's getting stuff. Only the scholarship guys are getting it. So just to set that one straight. From the head coach's perspective and a former, uh, a former actually, hell, current parent of a college student, um, they, may not, they may get away with not having to pay taxes or whatever for this experience, which I don't, you know, hey, I'm glad they all have something to drive, and that's kind of neat. Uh, however, parking tickets are now going to come into play. 
and they're going to learn a lot about that. And as head coach, that's going to be a big headache because now you have to worry about 85 of these guys getting parking tickets all the time on campus, and that's a headache. Uh, and then I'm sure they'll be, you know, if they're not involved in the learning in the financial aspect of it, if somehow a nonprofit can cover all this stuff and cover them, I'm sure there's going to be some degree of I, – I don't remember how many – wow number of guys I had that did not have driver's license. And so they're going to have to go get involved in the process of getting their driver's license. And I'm sure there's going to be some version of an insurance aspect that goes along to this. So with 85 cars in my fleet, of which I now have to pay attention to, somebody's going to either hit something or get hit. And there will be some some grown-up learning involved in that. So you know, I encompass all this under the umbrella of, oh, my God, can you believe we're actually talking about this in college athletics? But this is the world we live in now, so it's pretty cool, yeah? Okay. Yeah. I guess I, guess I, want, to, I want to come back to, uh, to Coach uh, Scott and then back to you, uh, Coach Amber. Now, Amber, I listened to what you said, and, I, and you gave us great information. Now, what about insurance? Who's paying for the insurance of 85 players? Well, one of the things I said is that the uh, cars, there's a reason why there are six-month intervals for leases. If you think about it, that kind of runs neatly up against a season or so, okay? And then, you know, you have your spring, and then fall comes back around. I think I'm going to take us back to that example so that we're clear. This falls in that NIL space. I think I heard somebody mention that. This is a a way or a mechanism that is intentional to be in addition to to really be in the NIL name, name, uh, image, and likeness space, which the NCAA did address this week, this past week. They they made some changes or at least made some recommendations. And this is one of those scary vehicles that, you know, when you look at this, the insurance and the taxes and the maintenance, all those wonderful things, and I love when someone say it because it is an oh-my-God moment because, you know, there are risks. These are the risks. You know, someone's going to hit someone, someone's going to get hit. And so now I'm dealing with a player. Imagine a player just getting his license and he, he's got a pickup truck to drive. I mean, there's a lot of little things that are scary about this, but the insurance <clears throat> is the insur- is insurable by the nonprofit, and I almost had the name of it to, to mention, but the nonprofit pays the fleet and blanket insurance, and that is, in my opinion, almost a Lloyd of London issue because it's a it's a higher risk than than going over to State Farm and say I need you to <laughs> to write these cards. You know, we're talking about college. Kids forget the fact that they play football that are a certain age, so that insurance issue falls definitely falls on the books and can't possibly be cheap. So I think what's going to happen is they're going to be forced to come out of those vehicles every six months and go into others. That way they can take those vehicles, put them back on the market, sell them to anybody but the players, and recover <laughs> recover something there uh, their losses. But they will. That what's going to happen is all those players are going to have new vehicles all the time. Which think about it. Now we've got the car manufacturers, dealers, 
All of that's starting to come into play. This is why I said this is the beginning of why they have to now regulate, thank God they are, the NIL process with education and some standardization. If they don't, you'll have, like it was said earlier, I think Coach Ambrose said it, next thing you know they'll be getting, they'll be getting houses. So uh, the insurance, just to answer the question and to be brief as I try to be, it stays with the nonprofit and is paid by the nonprofit. Okay. Back to you, Coach Ambrose. The transfer portal window is getting smaller now. So will that hurt the players' decision-making, and what does it do to the colleges? Uh, well, by, by setting the fences a little bit smaller, it gives it gives the coaches a, a little bit better firm ground to stand on in reference to who you recruit, who you bring in, who you need, who you lose, you know, and can, can you replace them, how fast enough. Uh, by not leaving it open all the time, it's making people make decisions. And by making decisions, you know, we can figure out whether we're in or we're out. So I, I like it. You know, the topic itself is my favorite thing in the world for football. I'm just so glad. <clears throat> but I think at least we're doing – we're taking steps to make it more manageable for everybody. Okay. Uh, Tommy, same question. Yeah, I heard, you know, I, I, I agree with that because I think now what we've done, these are things that obviously should have been done on the front end and the back end, but it showed what little planning the NCAA did when they when they passed pass these rules. But I think now this this is going to, it's going to obviously be not as helpful for the player. He's not going to have as much time. But it is going to throw uh, the, a favorable position back on the university where uh, the football team and the football staff, they can do more planning and have more time to make adjustments to the transport portal. And I, and I talked to my brother Terry uh, last night, who's the head coach at University of Louisiana Monroe, and, and teams like that are who the transfer portal hurts because he's got no NIL money. Once he invests two years in them or one year in them, they, they're gone. They're, they're gone. So by at least restricting the time frame, it gives coaches a, a longer chance to make plans for the continual movement that he has. It's, 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 a, it's a moving part uh, uh, continually for a college football coach now because of transfer portal. So this, I think, throws a little more uh, help to the college coaches, but as you mentioned, it is a little more uh, difficult for the player. He doesn't have a larger time frame, but I think, I think we need to start balancing out I think it's been heavily been skewed in the players' favor uh, when it first came out. Okay, uh, Coach Johnson, you know, you hear what Coach Ambrose and Coach Bowden said about it. Your thoughts on it? You know, I, I hear some people saying, like a few players saying, oh, man, that's, they're not giving us enough time anymore. Well, I think Coach Bowden just hit the nail on the head. I think it's definitely um, – the new rules are going to try to even the playing field a little bit, and and like you said, they got the, the people that got hurt the most with the the way the transfer portal was working are the smaller schools that don't have those large nil pockets to go out and uh, recruit these kids and spread the money around. Um, 
because like you said, don't you invest a year, you know, and I think probably a year now, you have a freshman that comes in and does well, that kid makes all conference, that kid's gone. Um, so at least now you have a, a window of uh, that time is set. You have a, be able to have a little bit of a deadline that you can plan for. And it makes it a little bit harder for these kids, but the kids still have options. It's not like those options are being taken away. Um, you just got to make those decisions a little bit quicker. But there has to be some guidelines or some restrictions on it. It just can't be the wild, wild west where there's no – the windows are wide open and you can just pick up and leave anytime you want. Then it's – for me, it's crazy. Those Once again, those smaller schools, they don't have a shot. Um, at least with this – you at least have a time frame that you can plan for. Yeah, something might happen during this window, so I got to be ready for. But the way it was before, those guys were losing kids every night. Okay, uh, I want to move it along uh, pretty quick. I wanted you guys to kind of talk about the portal. I want to come to Tim and let Tim uh, kind of throw out the games. All right, Tim. Uh, you mean the games for this week, Doc? Yeah. Um, let's, uh, let's get your, um, your impressions, if you would, on, uh, upcoming ball games this week, uh, uh, Clemson and Miami, Coach Bowden first. Well, <laughs> you know, a couple of weeks ago I said my, Miami, but I'm, I'm not sure now. I, I, I think right now Clemson and Florida State, just know a little bit about those teams and the conference, they have the best talent in the conference. Miami, North Carolina, and 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 Duke. Of all, I'm I'm surprised, shocked. I'm saying that because I, I used to right. coach at Duke, but I think Duke would be in the same category as North Carolina and Miami. But there is separation between uh, uh, Clemson and uh, and Miami as far as talent. And uh, I, I, I like Clemson just because it's in it's in their DNA. This type of game. And right now, because of what's happened at Miami with North Carolina and just some some very terrible coaching decisions, you know, there, there, there's a little bit of disarray being projected. And uh, say what you want. You try to hide it from the players, but they read that stuff, and there's, it creates doubt and indecision. So I, I, I like Clemson, a little more stability, a little bit better players across the board. Okay, Mr. President, uh, Coach Johnson, uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, that one game? Uh, I agree with Coach Brown there. I think right now Clemson is uh, is in a better state of mind right now. There's a, the, the disarray that's going on in Miami that we know about. I can only imagine what's really going on. Um, you know, so I, uh, I think the talent-wise, I think Clemson has a little bit more tools in their in their box uh, than uh, Miami does. And then with the, where the everyone's uh, are mentally right now, I think this is leaning a little bit too much towards Clemson. So I'm going to go with the Clemson on that one. Okay, Coach Ambrose. Okay, so smart people in front of me say all the smart things. You guys, I I agree <laughs> completely. I mean that is it's completely logical. Just if you're a betting man. Now, but I'm going to throw, I'm going to throw this curveball in there a little bit. Doesn't really matter what kind of adversity. It is, but when there is a large thing, a big, large thing, bad, that happens, a good coach who recruited some good kids can make that team tighter and stronger. 
and then that team becomes special. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you, yeah, the, the, the money is Clemson. Bet on them. But if Miami finds a way to win, they're going to be dangerous for the rest of the way because they'll have found that next level of team. Okay. Okay. So Scott, uh, what are your thoughts about that Miami Clemson matchup? Uh, you make a good point. Clemson recruits very strongly uh, with the best of them in the country. Yeah, I, I must say that I fall neatly with Clemson. I'm a an old, retired, rusty linebacker, and so I'm impartial to defense. And when I think of defense, I think about the second generation of trotters that are playing on the defensive side who's having a pretty awesome season there. So, I, you know, when I look at Clemson, I see balance, um, which is something that we all want to see when we have a football team of special teams, offense, and defense. Uh, but, you know, being a little biased, I always say defense wins games. I'm sure there's some opposition to that out there. So uh, I, I kind of lean with the Clemson machine. Uh, you know, they do have the pedigree, but, uh, I you know, I have been – it was a little bit of time that I wasn't watching them every Saturday, and I am paying attention right now. Although I must say that – North Carolina, and as it was said earlier, Coach Bowden, I never – Duke, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen from one week to the other. Uh, it's, it's, an, it's a good time. It's a good part of the season. So, Clemson. Okay, okay Princess, I uh, um, want to ask you the same question, but uh, we're running a little tight on time, so we'll keep our answers, uh, you know, within a minute. Clemson, Miami. Okay, Um I think Clemson with my heart because I'm right here in Columbia, South Carolina, not that far from it, but they're playing in Miami. And um, you know, the debacle with Georgia Tech and then um, not performing well against North Carolina, you would think that Clemson would win this. So I'm going to go with them. But I wouldn't be surprised if Miami showed something um, in this game this weekend. Okay, let me stay with you. Uh, your favorite uh, team, the Florida Seminoles, Florida State Seminoles, uh, playing Duke. Uh, what, what do you think? <laughs> Did you really just say the Florida Seminoles? Okay. <laughs> I'm going to need a minute just to adjust myself for you saying that. Um, <laughs> who are they playing? Who's FSU playing? I'm sorry. Duke. Um, I think that Florida State has an excellent team, and they deserve the ranking in the top five. But I'm not picking them in anything. Go Duke. Go Blue Devils. <laughs> Okay, Coach Bowden, uh, what, are, what are your thoughts there? The Florida State, I know you're familiar with that program. They were on a resurgence, uh, but Duke is uh, is surprising a lot of people this year. They, they really are. Uh, they're, they're playing in Tallahassee, I believe. And, uh, yeah. and and one thing about one thing about Florida State right now is I don't think they played a really really good game for four quarters. I, I've watched them every week. LSU was close, but but, but they didn't put four quarters together. And uh, Duke has. I think they played really well the whole course of the game through a lot of their games. If if and and I think Florida State's due to play a a a a good game for four quarters. Uh, and I just think they got better talent o- overall. But uh, Duke has been a surprising team. Would surprise me if it's close. Okay, Coach Johnson, what are your thoughts? Uh, Duke and Florida State. Uh, kind of the same, you know, I think uh, Duke's playing really good football right now, and I think that's going to keep them close. But uh, 
I, I just think Florida State has too much talent, and uh, I'm going to go. One, I got one of my former players, Adam Fuller, is the D coordinator, so I got to go with him. So I'm going to go with the Seminoles. So Ambrose, so what are your thoughts, Duke, Florida State? Love me some Duke. I think what Coach Elko's done at Duke is it's better than impressive. It's it's like when Steve Spurrier took over and changed Duke at a certain period of time. It's historical. Uh, however, what Coach has done at Florida State, rebuilding it the right way. He took his time. He built this program. He didn't fix it. He just he took he built it back up to where it used to be. When when Coach Bowden's dad was the boss. It's really, I mean, it's not there yet, but it's moving in that direction. And I'm, I have great respect for how he's done it and, and what they, how, how they've done it, with who they've done it, and how they're going to continue to do it. Um, Florida State, all the way. Okay, Mr. Scott, we uh, wanted to keep our answers a little tight. Uh, Duke, Florida State. <laughs> I guess I can be a little long-winded. I, I say I, I like Duke. But the depth and the history is there with Florida State. I look for them. I, I don't want to say an upset, but I look for them to edge this one out, again, defensively. Hey, Princess, what do you thought? Oh, I already hit you with that one, didn't I? Um, I, I think yeah, I, I can say it again. What, what do you think? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what do you think about uh, Florida State do? You're down there in North Florida Carolina. State. Florida State. Okay. Okay, let me stay with you. The big one that's taking place in Columbus, Ohio this weekend, uh, Penn State uh, finally got a quarterback going into the Buckeyes' uh, den and uh, in the horseshoe. Uh, what are your thoughts there? I, I like I like Ohio State, but I think uh, that school, other school we aren't might pull it off. <laughs> okay. You can't do so it, Johnson. Because, Johnson, Penn State looks like they've got a quarterback finally. What, what do you think? They don't win very much in Columbus, though, even though they win in Happy Valley sometimes. Um, That's true. That's true. No, I agree with you. I mean, that quarterback's playing well. I just think Mr. Harrison is going to be too much for him at the end of the day, so I'm going Ohio State. Okay, Coach Bowden, what do you think of Penn State and Ohio State? Yeah, I, I picked Penn State until I saw where they were playing. And then when I saw it was in Columbus, I said, I, I, I kind of swing the edge to them. I'm, I'm going to go with Ohio State. Okay, Coach, uh, Coach Ambrose, did I get you? Mm. It's a game that everybody <laughs> should watch. This is this is the game to watch. It's yeah. going to be yeah. close. Oh, it's going to be close. I got Penn State in a nail-biter. Okay, Ooh. Scott, what are your thoughts there? Penn State, Ohio State. I uh, am definitely going to get criticized from this by friends, but I see Ohio State uh, not necessarily pulling that out marginally. Again, I'm going to yield to the side of defense. Stay tuned. Okay. Uh, Princess, uh, I, I've been saying all season I think Penn State's the best team in the Big Ten. Uh, what are your thoughts about this game? I think they show it, and I know it's in, in – at Ohio State in in the shoe, but I think Penn State wins. Okay, let me stay with you. USC uh, didn't show well last week, and Utah, who uh, played well first game of the season, kind of faltered a little bit and sort of been under the radar but have been winning lately. Uh, what are your thoughts there? I hope USC break, beats the brakes off of Utah. I do not like them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Coach Ambrose, what do you think of USC and Utah? Oh wow! I just wow, that was pretty fun. Uh, I, I'm Utah all the way. I think the physicality that they bring to the table is going to be pretty impressive. 
Okay, Coach Johnson, <laughs> what do you think of Utah and USC? I think as a result of those, uh, did you you did call me, I think. Um, well, I think as a result of those fancy new trucks that they have, those fancy new pickup <laughs> trucks that they're riding around in, I look for USC to give them a little bit of a spanking. I think they're focused on the trucks right now. Okay. Uh-huh. Coach Johnson, Thank you. Coach Johnson, uh, USC doesn't play much defense. What do you, what do you think in there? Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's the only thing. I mean, Caleb's got to have a great game for him, and hopefully they can outscore him. But the last few weeks, I've really been watching USC, and I'm I'm really scared about nervous about their defense. But uh, uh, I'm going to go with USC outscoring them. Coach Bout, what do you thought? Yeah, I think Caleb Williams is embarrassed off of what happened last week, and I I think he's responding. And and, and uh, Utah won last year, so I'm I'm going to swing it in USC's favor. Okay, Duck, I'm going to turn it back over to you. Oh, dang, that was quick, Tim. I, I, I thought we had, I thought we had Tennessee Alabama. All right, uh, real quick, Tim, staying with you. Give me your top five. Well, I, I kind of feel like Georgia's number one until somebody beats them, defending national champions. Um, I think Michigan's a pretty good ball club. They haven't played anybody yet, uh, still to be proven, but I'll put them at number two. Uh, Florida State's been very impressive. Put them at three. Penn State at number four. And Washington, surprisingly, uh, at number five. Okay, uh, President Johnson. Uh, I agree. With, I think Georgia should stay at number one right now. Since someone beat them, I'm actually going to go uh, Florida State at two over Michigan. I think uh, they got more athletes, and uh, Michigan at three. And then my number four is going to be Washington. Uh, I've been high on Washington all year, and then, then I'll go uh, Ohio State at five. Okay. Uh, Coach Ambrose, Georgia, Michigan, Washington, Florida State, and Texas. Oh, okay. Stick, right. Yep. Sticking <laughs> with Texas. So it's about. I'm going to take Georgia. Uh, even though Michigan hadn't played anybody, they do what great teams do. They beat them bad and they're beating the the average teams bad. I'm going to go Ohio State, Florida State. But I will say it's about Washington at number five. Washington, to me, could be two, three, or four. So uh, I'll put them at five, but they could be two, three, or four. They're playing that good. All right. Coach Scott? I cannot ignore Georgia. I will not ignore Washington. They are getting stronger uh, every week. Um, I... Still stick with Ohio State. Those are my three. The other two that are hard to call right now for me is I, I, Oklahoma. I'm not sure what what's going on there. It would be four, and then um, and then I, I still haven't given up on Oregon, even though they're hmm. slipping. <laughs> okay, Francis, uh, and take well, them out, because, Give us your five. <laughs> Because I am emotional, I can't ignore Georgia, and I have Michigan at one, Washington two, FSU three, Georgia four, and Penn State five. All right, gentlemen. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Gentlemen, thank you. This has been awesome. Um, Mr. Scott, um, Rob Ambrose, Lyndon Johnson, um, and then my favorite coach, Tommy Bowden. I really appreciate you all being on. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoy. Thank you.
Always a pleasure. Have a great it's week. A pleasure, Tim, thank you. Uh, Tim Moore, thank you Duck Riley, um, thank you for everything. We'll see you next time. Uh, we'll get ready here uh, for the next show. Professional experts up next. Never had it so good. <laughs>